this is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Today I'd like to cover Bartlett pears and whether they'll do well in the Mojave Desert, when to plant pomegranate bushes or trees, and controlling whiteflies on pomegranate. All this and more on today's Desert Horticulture. These are three questions I got from, uh, from readers of my RJ article in, in the newspaper as well as uh, some of the people who visit my blog. I post these questions on my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert, <clears throat> as well as some of the answers. But this gives me an opportunity, the podcast gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the question and, and more in depth. So the first question, I have a 10-year-old Bartlett pear tree, and the pears are kind of small, about three inches long. The label says they ripen in August, but mine are not ripe until the end of October. I pick, uh, pick them, leave them out in the kitchen, and they become juicy and ripe. I water the trees heavily once a week, and the fruit improves. Is there any way to make, produce, uh, make the tree produce larger fruit? Well, there are several questions going on here. One is Bartlett pear is a good uh, pear tree for the Mojave Desert. It doesn't have a lot of serious problems with it. Uh, secondly, on that, you're mentioning the ripening time as August, and that's a little early for the Mojave Desert. I would say your observation of October is about right for harvesting uh, the Bartlett pears. As far as the pears go, I've had luck with Bartlett pear, the Sensation Red Bartlets as well. Uh, good luck with that. Comice pear, European pears, understand that the pears are divided into three basic kinds. There's the dessert pears that are mostly European pears, like the Bartlets uh, and the Comice and the Anjou and things like that. Then there's the European cooking pears, like the kefir, which is a, a good pear, except you've got to recognize it's not a dessert pear. Well, if you take a bite of that when it's ripe, it's not going to be uh, juicy and moist like a Bartlett pear. It's going to be made for cooking. It holds up under heat and the cooking temperatures. And thirdly um, are the Asian pears. And the Asian pears, are just about any of them, <clears throat> will work just fine. I've had luck with all of them. But any of those types of pears, the only one on the Asian pears that I'd be a little sketchy about would be the 20th century Asian pear, but all the others are, have been fine. Just pick whatever you like to be the best one for you. So let's get talking about the pears themselves. And so, so the harvest time, it's wrong. August in the Mojave Desert is too early for harvesting these pears. When you're harvesting them, they should be turning from a dark green to a little bit lighter green. And you always want to harvest pears before they're fully ripe. You're exactly right. You want to harvest them, put them in at room temperature, and let them ripen so that uh, they're not as gritty. And that will re remove a lot of that grittiness in the, in the flesh, that, that's the dessert part of the pear. Um, and that also goes true, goes true of the Bartlett pears or the the Bartlett pears that you buy, or any of the European pears that you buy in the grocery store. You're going to harvest them. They're going to be a little bit green. They're not going to turn yellow there yet. If they're turning yellow, that means they've been in storage for a while. And I don't know about their grittiness. It depends how they were harvested. 
but uh, those that grittiness in the flesh itself, you can control it to some degree by picking it a little bit early and letting it harvest. So those yellow ones that you see in the store, they may look ripe to you. I just don't know if they're going to be ripe because um, if they were picked ripe or if they're going to if they were allowed to ripen. So your choice on that. If you like a, a pear, a juicy pear, you go ahead and pick them. But the ideal way is to harvest them in the Mojave Desert right around October when they when the background color greenish turns from a dark green to a light green and then go ahead and let them uh, ripen fully at room temperature. Uh, as they turn yellow, then you can start to feel them. You'll, you'll feel that they're getting soft and juicy. So how can you get these fruit bigger? Well, the number one method that you're going you're gonna to occupy is thinning. So when the bears begin to flower, uh, you don't want more than one pear per cluster. So th when, the f when the pears flower, they're going to come out in clusters. The flowers will come out in clusters of four, five, or six, typically. And you'll want to thin those or remove the fruit when they're fairly small until only one remains <clears throat> per, the, per cluster. If you do that, then the, the remaining fruit can get larger. It's like I, I tell people, you know, uh, if you've got a certain amount of money per year and you've got 12 kids, then each of the kids are only going to get a small percentage of that uh, attention that we're going to give them. But if you've only got a couple kids and you've got the same income, it can go a lot further with a smaller number of kids. Now, I'm not endorsing a certain lifestyle, but with that, just keep in mind, it's an idea. Think of it. The, the, the tree is going ahead and, and pulling in sugars and carbohydrates from it, from the energy of the sun, converting it into that, and then pumping these fruit. The more fruit you have, the, each of the fruit's going to be smaller. The, the smaller number of fruit that you have on the tree, <clears throat> then the fruit will be larger. Generally speaking, we want about 40 or 50 leaves, green leaves, for each fruit because that'll be enough and they should be in mostly in full sunlight. But we want enough carbohydrates, making them larger. Second thing is supplying water to the fruit. Fruit, the soil must be moist in order for the fruit to increase in size. That's got to be the case. Don't ever let, <clears throat> you know, watering it once a week, unless you've got, you're saying you're watering it once a week, unless that soil is staying moist during that time and it's not drying out in June or July, that's going to affect the size of the fruit. If the soil moisture is starting to get depleted and it's getting smaller, then the fruit's going to be smaller. It's got to have regular applications of water, the tree does, in order for the fruit to get larger. It can't run out of water. And the last thing is fertilizer. Just make sure that it's getting enough fertilizer applied each year. Once in the spring, generally <clears throat> in the Mojave Desert climate around the end of January, first part of, of February in that particular uh, time, just make sure it gets an adequate amount of fertilizer. You can judge from the look of the tree. If new growth on the tree is uh, 
is excessive, it's three feet long, then it's probably getting too much nitrogen fertilizer. It's getting too much fertilizer. You can reduce the amount of fertilizer it's getting. But it should be putting out, when it's a fairly young tree, it should be growing at least about 18 inches, at least. <laughs> no more than about 18 inches of new growth per year. And that's an average around the whole tree. Okay? So keep in mind, getting fruit larger, uh, thin it. You've got to remove fruit when they're small. 40 or 50 leaves per fruit. Secondly, make sure it's getting plenty of water. You can, uh, you can do that by covering the soil surface with three or four inches of wood chips, and that helps conserve the water. A, a weekly irrigation in the Mojave Desert is kind of long in the middle of the summer, unless there's other water coming in from somewhere. So anyway, and then the fertilizer applications, and that should result in a larger fruit for you. Also remember, picking them when they're close to being ready, still green, but letting them ripen off the tree, not on the tree. Hopefully that will help. Second question, I would like to plant a pomegranate tree this fall, but I'm worried that the weather is going to be cooling down soon. That was submitted about in, <clears throat> in November. Do you think I missed my opportunity for planting, and should I wait for spring? No, you didn't. In the Mojave Desert climate, uh, our soil never really gets that cold. The temperatures you're looking for are really temperatures above 45, 50 degrees to get root growth in temperate fruit crops. That's not true of the tropical crops, but it's typically true of the temperate fruit crops. And that's, most of the time, that's that's uh, throughout the entire planting season, throughout, throughout winter. You're going to be getting those temperatures. Is it the best time? No, it's not the best time. The best time is when the temperatures of the soils are around uh, 60, 70 degrees, and that's, you're going to get optimum root growth from, the, from that. Uh, so you, you want to look at a fall planting in the Las Vegas Valley. That's typically... Uh, right around the middle of September to the end of October, to the middle of October. And then covering the soil with wood chips, a wood chip mulch, helps to preserve the uh, moisture as well as the temperature in there. Helps to keep them. So if it's warm, it'll stay warm longer in the fall. But if it's cold in the spring, the soil stays colder longer if it's under wood chip mulch in the spring. So that wood chip mulch, <clears throat> and then of course the amount of water, having the cooling effect of water present in the soil, have a, have a big difference, have a big effect on the soil temperature. So you didn't miss your opportunity. It's, is it best? No, it's best to plant it, you know, the optimum time in the fall and optimum time in the spring, uh, just prior to new growth starting. But if you miss that opportunity, you can still plant them in the Mojave Desert not up in Minnesota, when the soil is uh, still cool. Just won't get as much root growth, that's all, in, in our temperature. Remember that magic number for root growth, somewhere between 45 and 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, that's the magic number. And then as temperatures increase, root growth extends faster. It grows faster up until about 85 degrees, and that's when temperate uh, roots begin to slow down because the temperature is too high. Remember those wood chip mulch. That'll help a lot in water conservation and preserving the heat in the soil or keeping them cool in the summertime 
keeping the soils cool in the summertime and keeping a prolonged spring planting period if it's under wood chip mulches because the soil is cooler than heating up every single day and cooling down. <clears throat> okay, third question. In a previous article, you talked about white flies. What do they look like and how do I know if my plants have them? Oh, thanks for asking that question. I sometimes just assume that everybody knows what white flies look like. Well, white flies, I did mention it uh, uh, happening on some plants. They're kind of a bad pest because these white flies, they're very small. Um, got some fingers in front of me right now trying to judge their size. But I, I would say they're an eighth of an inch or so in length. Uh, they are a white or whitish yellow in color. And when the plants are disturbed, then they start to swarm up in the air. They're not terribly strong flyers, so they'll kind of weakly go up into the air, uh, kind of a, a dandruffy dust where the plant is located. And those are it. But typically those white flies, well, the white flies themselves, they're, um, they like to feed on plant juices. So what they'll do is they... I think they overwinter uh, close to the soil surface underneath some mulch right at the base of trees or close to it on other things that might be out there. Weeds even that are out present, so you might want to get rid of those. Uh, and I believe that it's not, it's not supported that much by some of the websites, but I believe that you can control uh, white flies to some degree with a dormant oil application in the winter time. That's dormant oil, that's not the same as neem oil, which can be confused. It's a dormant oil, it's a petroleum product that's applied to the trees, usually twice during the winter time on a nice, warm, uh, windless day when the sun is out. That's the best time to apply it. And by squirting that dormant oil uh, just in a, in, right around the trunk, base of the trunk, I think that's where most of them are going to be located, hiding out, waiting for spring when they can come out and it starts to warm up. A little bit like aphids, but aphids come out a lot earlier. They like cooler weather. White flies like it when it starts to get hot, when it starts to get warm out. So the aphids that'll come out, the plant lice, they call them sometimes, you'll see them coming out right after the leaves come out in the spring. White flies on the other side of it are oftentimes brought in to the landscape by plants that you buy from a nursery or plants, greenhouse plants, because the white flies can be on tomatoes, they can be on uh, many different vegetables that you bring into it, and they can drift over into your fruit trees. On fruit trees, you can find white flies on pomegranate a lot of times. The most common, and the white flies are lots of different kinds of white flies. You've got White flies that are from ash trees, called the ash white fly. You've got, you've got uh, white flies that come from uh, sweet potato white fly. Many different kinds of white flies, and they're slightly different from each other, but they all look about the same. They look like that flying dandruff I mentioned earlier. So the oils will get them. They're difficult to control once you get them on the trees. So the best thing to do is when it starts to get warm out and you have a pomegranate tree, for instance, the adults will lay their eggs and begin to cultivate, nurture their young 
on the undersides of leaves like pomegranate, on the undersides of leaves like tomato, like some of the vegetables that you might buy as transplants and bring into your raised beds. That's where you're likely to see them. And the, the damage that they create is only when their numbers, their populations get really big. So you won't see it at first, but it leaves us, just like aphids, it leaves a sticky residue falling on the leaves below it. And sometimes when the humidity is pretty high, usually more in more humid areas, not in the desert climates, we'll, st we'll start to see uh, a black substance growing on this sugary things. On the, on the sugary stuff that's dripping from these white flies, dripping from the aphids. That's called a sooty mold. And that sooty mold is a fungus that grows on the sugary substance that these insects feed on inside the plants with all the sugars in them. Then they drop this sugary substance on the leaves and on the plant below it leaf surfaces that attracts ants especially because the ants are out uh, about mid mid spring they start popping out of the ground and then they start working with the white flies they start working with the aphids they start to cultivate them they start to nurture them because they like that sugary substance that's a food supplement that sugar is not easy for animals like insects to find it's produced by plants we have to get them somehow so by, by focusing on those insects that are feeding on the sap and causing that sap to drip onto the leaves below it, then the, these insects are collecting that sugary sap and they're, they're excreting it on the leaves below it and it's getting sticky below it. Oftentimes too, I'll just walk past plants and I'll see, in, if the sun is out, I'll see a shimmer on the leaves and that tells me to start looking at the leaves underneath underneath beneath the leaves in the plants above that shimmering substance so the best thing to do is preventive you go out there about the middle to the first part of summer no but the first part of summer the late part of spring and start looking at the undersides of leaves of pomegranate and vegetables, just looking for these guys. If you see them, pluck the leaf off and get rid of it. Uh, hopefully there aren't large numbers yet, but by just plucking those leaves and not giving the ants a chance to move them around or for these guys to fly to a different location and start setting up housekeeping on some other leaves, you're going to help prevent it. Soap and water sprays, neem sprays might help a little bit. Yellow sticky cards, hanging the, um, taking a piece of, of like um, cardboard or cardstock and cutting them into small squares, maybe quartering an eight and a half by 11, and then spray painting it or using a bright yellow cardstock spray painting it with that rust-oleum yellow that real bright yellow and then covering the outer surface with uh, with um, some anything sticky tangle foot can work you can use vaseline on the outside that will work anything on the outside that will that will track trap them because they like yellow light and they'll be attracted to yellow light I used to think they liked blue light too for some reason and blue work, but I'm not sure. I'd have to double check on that. But yellow for sure will work. And even though in greenhouses that's used as an indicator if white flies are present or not, 
it may trap enough of them out to keep the levels low enough where you won't see a lot of damage. You won't see a lot of that, um, a lot of that sugary substance being pulled out of the plants and uh, causing a lot of plant damage. So prevention is the best thing to do on white flies. Look for white flies, uh, bump the plants, look for dandruff starting to fly up, not terribly strong, strong uh, flyers. And then if you're seeing that, boy, it may have gotten a little too far. Check the undersides of leaves early in the season. Look for the possibility of white flies because there'll be a couple of mature adults that are nursing some of those little guys under there, some of those nymphs that are trying to grow up and get wings on them so they can take off. But prevention on the white flies is probably going to be the best method for you. So that covers those three questions. I hear the music. I've got to take off. Thanks, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Learn more about desert horticulture on my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, extreme horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on desert horticulture. Google or search for Bob Morris on Eventbrite.